So this sustainable procurement program, as it's called, builds on GSK's already established goal to achieve net zero climate impact and also to provide a net positive impact on nature. That's Fraser Kansteiner, a staff writer here at Fierce Biotech. Later, we'll hear more from him about environmental sustainability at Big Pharma's. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by Zymo Research. Today is Friday, September 22nd. Stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. When I joined the Fierce team in April, I was thrown into the ring right away. You're hired. Here's the temporary computer. Here's how to register for your benefits. Okay, now let's launch a podcast. So I was really surprised when just three weeks into the launch of the top line, my manager said, oh, by the way, I submitted the podcast to the Folio Awards. Me and the entire team were so excited to become a finalist. And today, I'm honored to say that we were also selected as the honorable mention for the best B2B podcast. It's incredible. Thank you so much to Folio's Eddie and Aussie Awards. I got to say, the top line feels like a new and evolving effort to me. But it's backed by a team of award-winning journalists who are at the top of their beat. In fact, we've had several honors at the Folio Awards. Two honorable mentions for the best B2B analysis. They were the most anticipated drug launches of 2022 by the Fierce Pharma team and the telehealth market shakeout by Heather Landy of Fierce Healthcare. That's the same team behind the newly launched podcast called Podnosis out every Wednesday. Fierce Pharma was the winner in the best B2B news coverage for our Agihelm coverage. And Fierce Biotech won the series category for Annalie Armstrong's series called Force into a Virtual World. And the Fierce Pharma website was honored in the B2B website group. So this is all incredibly exciting and we have a lot to live up to. So let's get on with it. Coming up next, the news. But first, a word from our sponsor. Zymo Research is a world leader in sample collection. Safe Collect sample collection kits are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. I received a series of sample collection kits from Zymo Research, and we tested them out with my family. Both the oral swab and saliva collection methods were very easy to use. I have two young kids, and I can confirm that it is not easy to do proper nasal swabs on children under five. While the saliva collection took a little while to complete, it was very effective with my five-year-old. He even had fun doing it. And my two-year-old did great with the oral swab. It was highly preferred over the traditional nasal swabs. The sample instructions were clear, the collection method was easy, and I was comforted knowing that any pathogens would be deactivated once they enter the test collection kit. If you'd like to learn more about Safe Collect sample collection kits, go to zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O research.com. Late last week, Bluebird Bio received an FDA-accelerated approval for Skysona. And now, as Angus Liu reports, it is set to debut in the U.S. with a price tag of $3 million. It's now the world's most expensive drug. The drug is a one-time treatment for cerebral adrenoleukiodystrophy, a rare fatal neurological disorder that affects children. Andrew Obenshane, Bluebird's CEO, spoke to investors during a conference call on Monday. He said, 
Skysona's price tag reflects the benefit of the medicine, saying it provides an urgently needed treatment option to slow the progression of neurological dysfunction in children impacted by progressive, irreversible, and fatal rare disease. Skysona won its FDA approval based on data from two small clinical trials. The drug was found to be better than natural history data at preventing the emergence of functional disabilities or death after two years. Bluebird plans to make Skysona commercially available by the end of 2022 at designated treatment centers, initially only in Boston Children's Hospital and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Merck's HIV strategy has been on thin ice this year. As Jane Waldron reports, it all started when the FDA slapped a clinical hold on trials of its investigational drug, Isletravir. The FDA made the call back in December because some patients experienced a decrease in their lymphocyte and T-cell counts. Now the FDA has decided that Merck can proceed with the trials of the drug as a treatment for HIV, as long as it sticks to low doses. It means that Merck will launch a handful of new Phase three trials looking at Isletravir in combination with Pifeltro another HIV drug from Merck that is already FDA-approved. However, it's not all good news for Merck. The company had hopes of getting Islatravir approved as an oral drug that could be taken once a month to prevent people from contracting HIV. But Merck released an announcement that said, after careful evaluation and analysis, it has now scrapped those plans completely. The COVID pandemic made pulse oximeters more crucial than ever before, but that widespread use also spotlighted problems with the technology. As Andrea Park reports, several studies published since 2020 show that the devices aren't always accurate, specifically for people with darker skin tones. That's because they rely on light emitted through the skin to measure blood oxygen levels, and early pulse oximeters were predominantly tested with white people. The effects have been disastrous. A recent study by a group of researchers from John Hopkins and Baylor University suggests that errors in pulse oximetry caused significant delays in delivering potentially life-saving therapies to Black and Hispanic COVID patients. Now the FDA is stepping in. The agency has scheduled an advisory committee meeting for November 1st. During the meeting, a panel of medical device experts will discuss the racial biases of pulse oximeters and we'll come up with a set of recommendations for future use and development. Speaking of blood oxygen reading technology, a new AI algorithm could potentially turn a smartphone into a pulse oximeter. Users simply place their fingers over the camera and flash of their phone. The resulting video is analyzed by an algorithm which can determine blood oxygen level by looking at how the light from the flash is absorbed by the blood. When compared to standard pulse oximeter readings, the AI was able to detect cases of low blood oxygen with about 80% sensitivity and specificity. The researchers behind the text said that proves the technology could one day be used as a low-cost, easily accessible alternative to current pulse oximetry devices. But first, they'll need to expand the tests of their algorithm. As I just mentioned earlier, pulse oximeters have a flaw racial bias. They just don't work as well with dark-skinned people. And the initial study of this smartphone alternative included just six people, and five of them identified as white. The study's co-lead author, Jason Hoffman of the University of Washington, said in a press release that the team will be sure to recruit a more diverse study pool moving forward. 
Big Pharma has been embracing the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning to accelerate new drug development. But Novo Nordisk is going a step further. As James Waldron reports, they are setting aside $200 million to create the first quantum computer for use in life sciences. If that sounds like something from science fiction, then that's because it almost is. These aren't the sort of computers that you can put on your desk or use to check your email. Instead, quantum computers must be located in data centers and are tasked with performing specific calculations that the current crop of computers either can't do or would take years to complete. In Novo Nordisk's case, these calculations would involve processing huge quantities of data, most about the human genome and diseases. The hopes is that this could accelerate the development of personalized medicines. Their computer will be so cutting edge that the hardware and materials will need to be developed over the next seven years. So don't expect to see Novo Nordisk's computer in action for a while. Two big pharma companies, GSK and Takeda, made moves this week to bolster their environmental sustainability. GSK is focusing on its supply chain and Takeda on its electrical sources in the U.S. In GSK's case, the development is part of a larger trend of companies focusing on emissions from outside their direct operations. After a word from our sponsor, we will hear more on this from Fraser Kansteiner and Eric Zaganowski. Dino Research is a world leader in sample collection. SafeCollect sample collection kits are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. SafeCollect sample kits can be used to detect a number of pathogens, including but not limited to SARS-CoV-2, dengue virus, Ebola virus, influenza A, rhinovirus, MERS coronavirus, West Nile virus, as well as a number of bacteria and yeast and eukaryotes. From NASA to Nobel Prize winners, those who rely on safe, simple, reliable sample collection use Zymo Research products. To learn more about Safe Collect sample collection kits, go to ZymoResearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O Research.com. Hey, Fraser. So these types of sustainability stories come across our desks every so often, but I thought these two from two separate big pharma companies were particularly interesting. You covered the GSK news earlier this week. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah. Uh, so essentially, GSK has rolled out one of the next stages in its environmental sustainability program. Uh, and this time it's focusing uh, not on its direct operations, but on its suppliers. So it's going to require its suppliers and it's also going to help them uh, make sustainability commitments and also chart improvements on things like emissions, waste and a whole lot more. So this sustainable procurement program, as it's called, builds on GSK's already established goal to achieve net zero climate impact and also to provide a net positive impact on nature. Now, as we look at this deal, again, GSK is specifically focusing on its suppliers, and it's going to push them to disclose emissions, uh, set carbon reduction targets, switch to renewable power and heat, uh, achieve water neutrality in certain areas, achieve certain levels of waste reduction, and also to align with GSK's responsible sourcing standards. Um, as I mentioned, companies won't just be on their own. So next month in October, GSK is going to assemble a whole bunch of its suppliers 
and they're going to discuss plans for implementing the procurement program. And GSK is also going to kind of gauge what sort of assistance uh, these other companies might need. I saw another another headline from Takeda. Can you tell me what they did? Yeah, so Takeda did something that you know we see a bit more often, which is it made a power purchase agreement. But I think this one is significant just given the the size and the scope of the deal. So Takeda inked a uh, 12-year virtual power purchase agreement with NL North America, which is expected to generate up to 350,000 megawatt hours of renewable energy per year. Um, that sounds like a lot. Admittedly, I don't really have any reference point for what that is off the top of my head. However, Takeda says that it's roughly the amount of electricity needed to power about 30,000 U.S. homes in a year. Um, now, Takeda expects this to basically provide enough energy to meet its anticipated needs in the United States, and the project is going to kick off in 2023. And I thought it was interesting that Takeda deal, they're buying electricity from a wind farm in Oklahoma. So these are two very separate stories. Um, can you tell me about how they fit into general trends you've been following on the sustainability front? Yeah, so these stories are interesting because they kind of illustrate what are called different scopes of emissions. Um, there are three total. So scope one emissions refer to direct emissions from sources owned or controlled by a company. Uh, this would be things like manufacturing plants or automotive sales fleets. Uh, scope two emissions are indirect emissions that come uh, from electricity, steam, heat, cooling that is uh, bought by a company. Uh, scope three, by comparison, uh, is indirect environmental impact that comes from a company's supply chain. So scope three is where uh, GSK is focusing its efforts now. Tackling scope three emissions is is definitely, I think, more challenging than uh, you know just cleaning up your own operations. But in a lot of cases, it also has a a much bigger impact. So it's kind of a bigger fish, uh, trickier to do, but I think you know sort of more impactful in the long run. That's interesting. It makes me wonder if GSK is going to be the first of many pharmaceutical companies to start focusing more on their suppliers and supply chain rather than just their own plants. Yeah, it's actually not alone in doing this. Um, I should mention that Takeda actually has given thought to its suppliers as well. So both GSK and Takeda, along with a couple other uh, large pharmaceutical companies, are part of this program called Energize. Um, it's a collaboration with Schneider Electric and Carnstone. And essentially, the idea behind this program is to increase access to renewable energy for these pharmaceutical company suppliers. You know, and beyond that program as well, it makes sense for companies to kind of start with a focus on their own operations, but they do need to eventually account for uh, indirect emissions if they really want to sort of have a big impact in terms of their environmental footprint. Um, this was essentially the, the position that was taken by a number of uh, sustainability-focused executives at several different large pharmaceutical companies who were on a first biotech panel earlier this year. So just one example from that, uh, Jim Widener who is executive director of engineering technical authority and sustainability at Amgen said that uh, for the majority of companies around 80% of their carbon footprint is scope three or from their suppliers. And so he really stressed that that was an area we needed to focus on. Well, that's really interesting. I'm excited to hopefully read more about these developments. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. 
You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.